Well, welcome back inside to this podcast. I'm Alex Garrett, and with me now is someone who has been with City and State New York for quite a while, but as their Albany chief, but I believe he's moving to the New York Post, if not already. Zach, are, are you still with City and State New York, or have you moved to the Post yet? Oh, we're one week away, but I, you know, I'll offer a good tip to uh, to your listeners on changing uh, jobs. Make sure to say your start date in the same tweet as the new job. I uh, certainly confuse a lot of people, but sitting in state for one more week uh, past the state budget. And uh, don't forget me when you move to the post. All right, I'd love to have you back on when you're you're coming Albany for the post. I've been. How could I forget you? I've been down there in that uh, in that news row. It's kind of intense. You've got the post, the news. Uh, you've got almost every outlet, and then the radio factor also down there in the almost like the catacombs of Albany, right? Yeah, you could say that. Uh, it's just, it's an interesting little bit. Okay, let's talk about what just happened this weekend because the numbers should flabbergast everybody. $220 billion. I guess we can say at least we got alcohol to go. I know that's been a big uh, win around in, in New York City at least. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners like myself and undoubtedly you, Alex, maybe uh, enjoyed some to-go cocktails for uh, – during the pandemic. Unfortunately, once state of emergency ended, they went kaput. Governor Kathy Hochul uh, spent a lot of time in budget talks making sure they would come back. You know, it's, it's issues like this that really resonate with voters. Maybe it's not the biggest deal in the world, but certainly people love their to-go cocktails. And some of these antiquated alcohol laws um, just don't make sense to everyday New Yorkers. It's more than that. It helps the business too, doesn't it? Sure. Uh, you know, restaurants, uh, you know, really found a new rev- revenue stream through this, um, you know, during especially the early months of the pandemic, when we were all really wondering if in New York City in particular, you know, thousands of restaurants were just going to close down forever. But, you know, in Albany, you can't have somebody win without somebody saying that it's their loss. And, you know, in this in this weird little state of ours, we have the liquor store lobby. And the liquor store lobby doesn't want restaurants selling cocktails. They want you going to liquor stores to buy your mixers and buy your booze, certainly not have them delivered. So they had to strike a bit of a compromise. During, earlier in the pandemic, you might recall you could buy uh, bottles of liquor or wine even um, by delivery. Unfortunately, for those that want to get that delivered, that just isn't going to happen. They gave the liquor stores a win on that point while uh, giving the restaurants a win on allowing to-go and delivery cocktails in beer. Well, I would say to the liquor stores, you were open and churches were closed during the pandemic. So there's that. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, one thing about, too, uh, that the liquor store we've got is we're going to have open liquor stores on Christmas Day now. Huh. So how about that? Uh, they're, they're really changing things in Albany. Uh, I guess so. Okay, but the the meat of this $220 billion, I mean, my head spins with the amount. I don't know if this is the highest they've had it. I feel like in my time covering politics, it's one of the highest ones. But what's in the bill that New Yorkers really should know That besides the fun alcohol stuff we're talking about? Here? Well, you're right. This budget is way bigger than just a couple of years ago. You know, I think two, three years ago, the state budget was around $170 billion. This is $220 billion. That's a lot more. 
Um, but what's so interesting was how little discussion there really was about what money was being spent. There was a budget surplus, after all, in the end, after uh, federal stimulus aid, versus the policy proposals. You know, the big issues in this budget weren't about spending. They were about bail reform. You know, how much uh, ought recent reforms be rolled back? Um, you know, what sort of crimes... <clears throat> ought to be bail eligible moving forward in the end the democrats kind of struck a deal they're trying to find a middle ground between you know the moderates and the left wing basically hate more hate crimes and more gun crimes will be bail eligible judges will have a bit more leeway to jail repeat offenders pre-trial as well as order some people to get mental health treatment but that is far from what the governor was looking for in her 10-point public safety plan that she introduced you know just with two weeks remaining uh you know in budget talks it really threw a wrench in the works but you know given recent republican attacks as well as people like tom swansea a fellow democrat in the gubernatorial primary it seemed like the that the governor really had to make something happen in the budget. So she managed to get a, a, a few wins on bail, also a suspension. Of well, let's, let's hold it a little, a little more because I know that bail reform is a big issue in the political circles. I feel like the average New Yorker is kind of aware of it, but if you're listening to radio like I do in my job every day, you know it's, it's hitting us hard. But the average New Yorker, bail reform... Uh, they might have known it's a problem, but do they know that it's been re uh, tried to resolve by the governor? What, what exactly went down? Uh, well, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors um, from all sorts of people in this one. You, you know, I think uh, something important to remember is there's the ongoing increase in crime. And then there's um, some recent criminal justice reforms like, you know, limits on cash bail. And then it's really unclear what one thing has to do with the other. Now, you know, especially since we don't have data from before bail reform happened to compare. So basically, in 2019, the Democrats in Albany voted to make most nonviolent misdemeanors and some felonies not subject to cash bail anymore. You know, remember, if you are somebody with a bit of money and you're accused of a crime, you can post bail and you can go home until your trial. Whereas if you're poor, you can't do that. Now, the only problem that came <laughs> was after these reforms <clears throat> passed and crime began to tick upwards. It was really unclear to tell whether, you know, bail reform caused it or not. Bottom line is crime was going up. And now, you know, two, in, in 2020, some changes were made to these reforms. Additional offenses were made bail eligible. You could call that a rollback. Um, but, you know, this year, they went a little bit further, um, including what I mentioned about so-called judicial discretion, you know, giving judges some leeway to decide if, say, a repeat offender, you know, ought not to be bail eligible or otherwise released um, pretrial. All of this is really, really, really complicated. But I think the bottom line for your listeners is, you know, Governor Hochul and some moderate Democrats really felt it was important to show vigilance through the state budget on this rising crime so they made various changes that they thought were important you know some of, one of them was say uh expanding kendra's law this is this 20 year old state law that facilitates the involuntary treatment of people with mental illness you know there's been a lot of these um sensational crimes in the subway some of them committed allegedly by homeless people dealing with mental illness and you know this new state budget will make it a little bit easier to you know order that they get 
um, treatment. You know, how does it doesn't? How does it do this? It does that by changing the legal standard. Before, you know, somebody had to pose a danger to others or themselves to be subject to Kendra's law. Now it's going to be a little bit more looser. Basically, if if they cannot um, provide for themselves you know, provide basic necessities, food, water, shelter, then you might be able to order them to treatment. That's a big difference. Yeah. Civil liberties advocates are crying foul, but, you know, certainly you could argue this is at least something aimed at addressing, you know, these really scary crimes in the subways in particular. Um, you know, additional cash uh, making, say, hate crimes and gun crimes, um, you know, cash uh, or cash bail eligible, you know, might catch uh, some additional offenders. Yes, sir. Um, but all in all, I'm just doing a quick interview that really I'm leaving. So I'm doing my own thing. Really Have a good night, you know, man. Moderates don't go far enough. I will. Progressives are, you know, crying bloody murder, if you will. Forgive the pun. Sure. Um, that, you know, these changes are really just going to lead to more black and Latino people in on Rikers Island. Uh, Zach, I don't know. I, there's part of me that says that while they might have been emotionally disturbed, they're also emotionally disturbed people that don't commit crime. So I wonder if some are just, I don't know, it, it might go beyond emotional disturbed. So sometimes I wonder I, if, if jail would work for them. I would. I, I think of it this way, you, you know, you gotta, you know, a lot of advocates are like, sure, if you want to force people to get treatment, you know, that's one thing, but you gotta match it with mental health services. You know, you got to have more hospital beds. You got to have more money for, you know, doctors and nurses and, you know, addiction treatment. And this new state budget has a lot of that. You know, we're just going to have to wait and see if it's enough to really, you know, um, you know, take dangerous individuals off the street, but give them the help they need so that, you know, they don't just become this huge burden to society, whether that means being in a mental hospital, prison, uh, or living on the streets, you know, committing additional crimes. Well, I know that Mayor Adams is doing what he can and angering people in the process with his raids. Uh, we haven't talked about this because I don't think we've talked since Adams got inaugurated, but I know he's been up to Albany before. What's your observation of the Adams-Hokel relationship? Have you, you know, observed it a little bit uh, during your during the time he's been in office so far? Well, they both have a lot to gain through a positive relationship. You know, we all remember how Cuomo and de Blasio got along when, you know, Cuomo was governor and de Blasio was mayor. And, you know, Hochul, who's really made a lot of efforts to show how she is nicer, more cooperative, um, um, less corrupt even than Cuomo, uh, you know, has made a lot of efforts to have a good relationship with Adams. You know, my sense in the budget was, you know, she said, I got this, you know, the, the mayor had several asks, you know, he wanted changes to bail reform. He wanted extension of mayoral control over New York city schools and down the list you go. And yeah, but he wasn't very involved. Uh, he didn't, he only came up to Albany one time for budget testimony. He largely left it to Hochul mm-hmm. to, you know, advocate on his behalf. Wow. And it okay. seems that she came through at least to some degree. My suspicion is she wants his support for uh, her primary campaign for the gubernatorial nomination. Um, you know, so far it's it's you know so far so good between the two. I think it's you know on the day to day politics, it's easy to get lost in the details, but it really is amazing that we have a governor and a New York City mayor that actually get along and don't constantly try to undermine each other, which was not the case at all for the past eight years. Uh, 100% correct, and who knows, maybe that other guy that was governor might make a run at this. I, I have no idea where his head is at, but that's another day, another story for another day. 
Okay, um, but I will admit this, as as positive as that is, when I heard that the budget was delayed, I'm like, well, this is same old Albany, delayed and bureaucrat red tape. Is that the right, you know, perception to have about that delay, or was there a legitimate reason why there were delays in this being passed? Well, the governor said she'd rather have a good budget than an on-time budget. You know, the budget deadline is April 1. They got it all passed. Uh, and signed into law by April 9th, I believe, in the morning. So a little bit late, but no interruption to, say, you know, paying state employees or anything like that. You know, was it a good budget? That's in the eye of the beholder, of course. But I think there is a lot that people can love here. You know, there was more money, billions, in fact, for childcare expansion. You know, anybody making less than 300% of the federal poverty level, that's like 70% for a family of three, would qualify for free child care provided by the state that's huge you know um you know there was an expansion of health care you know thousands of undocumented uh immigrants might might get health care and whatever you think about illegal immigration it, it you know there's so many studies out there that show that when you get you know undocumented people with you know access to health insurance that means fewer visits on the public dime to emergency rooms so, you know, there's a lot and there's a lot of other things to go cocktails, you know, that we were just talking about um, funding for the environment, um, you know, was really big, you know, wetland preservation and, you know, and who doesn't like watching, you know, big dogs like the real estate industry lose a little bit, including um, this tax incentive program that didn't get renewed in the budget called 421A. So if anyone, uh, you know, has a little schadenfreude for big real estate, you know, now is a good time to express it because they were, uh, you know, one among many losers in this budget. All right, I want to talk about... I don't necessarily feel sorry for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to have a real estate guy on this week about this whole... uh, There's a legal case dealing with Remney. I'm going to talk to him about that. But anyway, I want to talk to you about Downstate New York Adapt. So this is a disability organization. And they were outside Governor Hochul's New York City office. I'm not sure if... You were following that or not, but they were protesting about the home health care aid uh, situation. Is there anything you could talk about with that and other accessibility that that's in this budget that we may we should be aware of in the community? Well, I got to say, as a formerly as a, a former health care our former home health aide who got fired because he just wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I, I got to admit, it's a tough job. I did it in college for a couple months. Um, you know, these people are working hard for their money, you know, making sure that people get dressed, you know, uh, get showered, get fed, you know, get to have a real chance at living. Um, you know, people that are, you know, um, maybe paraplegics or have MS or anything else, you know, these are people that, that need help from the government. You know, this is what it's all about, right? And they don't get paid a lot. They get paid minimum wage, which is, you know, 15 bucks or whatever in most of the state. And, you know, they wanted to get 20 and we all know that 20 bucks, it still is not a lot of money. And if I sound a little biased to them again, let's go back a few sentences to how hard their job is. You know, none of this is fun, but you know, I saw a lot of them come up to Albany, both the the people that needed the help, you know, the people in wheelchairs and everything, and also their health aides who, you know, come every day throughout the pandemic, you know, for some pretty crappy wages. The final state budget's given them a $3 boost. Um, over two years, two dollars at first, another buck uh, later on, and that certainly makes a difference. Anybody that never doesn't make a lot of money knows that three dollars an hour um, is, uh, you know, it's the difference between you know a few meals here and not getting them. But that said, you know, they still sure seem that they're paid pretty low, 
and you know they weren't happy at all by this uh, finalized. And are the uh, what about the hours expansion? Did that happen at all? Do you know? I mean, so they get the boost, and then does the hours increase as a result, or? Well, you know, the funny thing with them, uh, if I'm, you know, I haven't followed all the details sure. of this, but you know, a lot of them work twenty-four hour shifts, so it's not so much about expanded hours; it's about less hours. And I didn't hear anything that really curtailed that. That said, I'm not an expert. I didn't follow every single um, line there. But, you know, I think the bottom line is this was a real mixed budget for them. They got that pay boost, but they didn't get everything that they wanted. And, you know, it's just really hard to keep people um, on the job when you're not paying them enough for such, you know, tough jobs. Well, I'm impressed that you even saw that line because I feel like the average New Yorker wouldn't. But you you obviously have been there, so you wanted to follow that, it seems like, a, a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, I'm a political reporter. I love, you know, the game, you know, who's up, who's down, who's fighting. But, you know, the budget really underscores how this is about people. And, you know, some people got a lot and some people don't have much at all. And home health aides sure don't seem like they have much at all. Well, let's let well, and I know that some of them were on the COVID floor. I have friends who have AIDS that were on the COVID floor. You know, it was it was a messy situation for a lot of people during the pandemic. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah, and you know, this budget, uh, you know, something that was surprising about it was how little people talked about COVID. You know, COVID changed everything, even if it didn't change things as much as maybe we thought at first. You know, last year there was so much talk about excluded workers and unemployment insurance and, you know, and uh, and rent relief. And this year there was, you know, hundreds of millions, I think it was maybe close to a billion dollars in additional rent relief approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the biggest issue that people are arguing about, but it's there. There was also $250 million in for utility arrears, you know, people mm-hmm. that couldn't keep up with their water bill, their internet bill, their electricity bill. You know, these are the, the things that people don't argue about that often fall by the wayside because people care about, you know, sexier, more politically beneficial things more. Like a football stadium in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we got the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. So, you know, the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo, anytime. So there is so much uh, research that shows that publicly funded stadiums don't generate diddly squat when it comes to economic development. They're not worth the price. And this Buffalo Bill Stadium is the largest lump public payment, over $850 million of a $1.4 billion project, uh, you know, for, for Buffalo. You know, God bless Buffalo. They love their football team. But, you know, Buffalo could use all sorts of help that doesn't involve a stadium that's not going to pay for itself. And the funny thing here is Governor Hochul, you know, she, she's got good uh, political instincts, man. You know, she just like with to-go cocktails. She knows uh, she has a good sense of, of issues that voters care about and issues voters don't. Voters care about to-go cocktails. They don't care about a late budget. Voters love the Buffalo Bills. They don't necessarily care about the details of economic development. Wait a minute. So- Downstaters <laughs> love the Jets or Giants. Come on now, Zach. <laughs> well, she could say, hey, I kept the only New York NFL team in mm-hmm. New York. And uh, that's a stinging rebuke of any Jets and Giants fans. But I do want to add... That, you know, while trying to assuage outrage over $600 million of state taxpayer dollars, $250 million is coming from Erie County, $600 million going from the state, she decided to strong-arm the Seneca Nation of all people to resolve this years-long dispute over gambling revenues. So she, she froze their bank account about two weeks ago. 
And believe it or not, the Seneca Nation came to terms and basically um, agreed to give hundreds of millions of dollars, I think about four, $500 million um, in outstanding gambling revenues that the state said it was owed. But here's the catch. You know, Hochul solved one problem, right? Limiting how supposedly taxpayer money was being used on the stadium. But then she created a whole other one. You know, the chairman of the Seneca Nation, you know, he said, yes, we're giving up this money, but this is just the latest example of, of the white people are screwing us. So, you know, and I don't know about you, anytime you're linked to centuries of genocide, it just isn't a good look politically. No, it's not. And I know that that was a huge <laughs> deal. Um, but so I was just going to ask you because Cuomo was in the headlines all the time. I just feel like this governor is not as controversial, but you just blew that out of the water. So thank you. <laughs> Well, she's got good, you know, how much are people talking about the Seneca Nation? It may not be right, but I don't think she's wrong that nobody's going to be talking about her strong army in the Seneca Nation. All that we're going to remember is that she made the Buffalo Bill Stadium happen for better or worse. And a lot of people love the friggin' Bills. Well, let me ask you this. Does that mean with the Seneca Nation paying back, does that mean the taxpayer actually was able to get less invested in this? You know, can I say bad words on your podcast? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so I think it's, uh, the, this whole issue of the Buffalo Bills and the Seneca Nation really raised a bit, um, set off my bullshit meter about what taxpayer dollars really mean. We often use this term taxpayer dollars <laughs> to mean, you know, tax, um, you know, tax revenue, income taxes, sales tax, that type of thing. But dare I say that when when gambling revenues are shared with the state, that that is taxpayer money, too. That's money that could be used on child care or improving the subways or fixing NYCHA or giving everyone an income tax refund for that matter. You know, just because uh, it's not tax revenue doesn't mean it has to go to the Buffalo Bills. So I've been trying to, like, push back a little bit at how, you know, the governor has said this is not taxpayer money. Sure looks like the taxpayers could have used it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it could have also helped with the homeless crisis, too. I'm just throwing that out there as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a lot of homeless shelters would look a lot nicer with $600 million in upgrades. And safer, right? I mean, come on there. Think how many lives would be saved. I don't think the Buffalo Bills Stadium, though, is going to save any lives. But I'm not a politician. I'm a journalist. <laughs> well, actually, it might endanger more because it'll only get more space to jump on freaking tables. I mean, come on. What is that? Well, that's a good That's a good point. They, they're crazy out there. They, like, squirt each other with, like, mustard and then <laughs> do flips and stuff in the parking lot. And, of course, we, we kind of talk because we were fortunate not to be in the homeless shelter. But, honestly... Uh, there is a way to spend that money, and I think if if you want to help Adams out, you invest with him in New York City a little more. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah, but you got to remember: Do you want to be the governor that killed the Buffalo Bills? You know, <laughs> yeah, the, it, you know the team was was playing hardball to mix sports metaphors. Uh, you know, they have been talking about moving to Austin and everything else. You know, maybe maybe the current stadium could have been renovated. Maybe. You know, the Bills still would have taken a better deal for the state. But, you know, Hochul clearly did not want to deal with one problem. And that was backlash from her own base in Buffalo about how she screwed up the Buffalo Bills. Mm. So I guess some things you just got to do and, and take whatever hit because, you know, 
She was certainly, she said from the get-go, my top priority is to keep the bills in Buffalo, not exactly the best negotiating tact. You know, when, when, sure. when the other parties already know that you're not going to say no, no matter what. Uh, I've got to look at you. Do. Exactly. And, you know, it seems like she's kind of gone away from COVID, but I wonder as Philadelphia and say the mask mandate today, and as our mayor has COVID, is she going to step in that water again? Is she hinted at all or not? Not really yet. You, you know, the current situation with COVID-19 is, is really interesting, especially in light of, of the of New York City Mayor Eric Adams' uh, positive um, case. It, you know, we've seen so many elected officials in recent, or, or public officials, I should say, in recent weeks um, get infected, whether it's at the White House and the state capitol where some of Hochul's top aides um, had positive cases during budget negotiations. And now with the mayor, obviously we hope uh, he does, uh, he recovers well um, along with everybody else. But, you know, he's working, they were working, the White House is still functioning. It seems like Democratic leaders are really trying to avoid going back um, and reinstating public health um, restrictions. You know, this could be the new normal. I I heard an interesting comparison, in fact, um, from one writer. I think it might have been in Slater, New York Magazine, one of them, um, who kind of compared it to smoking tobacco. Okay. You know, um, smoking tobacco kills, still kills hundreds of thousands of people every year. Uh, COVID you know, is likely to kill, you know, tens of thousands, if not many more every year. You know, we still have a dozen people or so dying in New York every day. So, you know, it's not going anywhere. Um, we lost COVID-1. It's going to continue to spread. Um, but it's, you know, pretty unlikely, according to public health experts, that we're ever going to come anywhere near, you know, April 2020, much less this past um, winter surge. That said, you know, it's still killing people. And I guess, you know, Democratic politicians, just like everyone else, are trying to figure out, you know, how they can continue to function with this deadly virus, you know, everywhere. I guess, you know, it's just like the 19th century in that way, right? They had to live with smallpox and measles and all that. And we got to figure out how to live with COVID. Absolutely. And maybe not get uh, COVID, you know, positive patients back in nursing homes. That's got to be a test a thing not to do again two years later. Right. Um, so what else is going on in Albany? Because in downstate, as I say, we're, we're kind of busy with a lot of stuff going on around here, um, <clears throat> dealing with the rising crime, dealing with a mayor that was at the Yankee Stadium and now is COVID two days later. And then after a big event in Washington, so maybe our eye isn't totally on Albany. What else is there to tell us uh, up there in our state capital? Ooh. <laughs> well, there's still a number of things that are on the legislative agenda until the legislative session ends in June. You know, some of them I've already mentioned, like this tax incentive that could or could not encourage um, affordable housing development in New York City, mayoral control of city schools, um, and then just, you know, so many um, things, big and small, you know, whether it's relaxation of alcohol laws to kind of follow up what's happened on to-go cocktails, you know. Um, you know, the conservatives might be concerned about the new uh, lead ammunition ban. Um, but I think New York City voters or New York City folks in general, you know, ought to just, you know, pay attention to what Hochul's doing, you know, as she continues running for a full term in office. You know, politicians mm-hmm. love to promise a lot. But, you know, up here in Albany is where they have to deliver. You know, and that means bills passed, bills signed into law, 
and you know, not just empty promises that we hear every election cycle. And I wonder if you are covering the AG at all in her moves, but I get her press releases a lot. Uh, she seems focused on a lot of different things, Attorney General James, but Trump's still a name up in Albany. I have to ask you about that because she wants to go after him and wants the courts to get him, you know, in there. Is she going to be successful at this? Well, um, two things. There's the civil case, um, which uh, there's a civil case against Trump. Um, in regards to various uh, real estate dealings and supposedly inflating um, the value of his assets. And that's a civil suit um, overseen by the state attorney general in conjunction with the Manhattan district attorney, who is also conducting a criminal case um, that appears to be going nowhere. So we'll put that aside. The grand jury on that expires in upcoming weeks. And it just really seems that there will be no criminal charges for Trump after all. The civil case could be interesting, though. You know, you got to remember a lot of what we've learned about what Trump has been up to in recent years has come through, you know, government investigations of some sort. You know, the impeachment trials, um, various like House investigations and, you know, up here in Albany in his home state. Um, at least former home state, you know, with the state attorney general and others. You know, um, right now she wants to depose um, his children, Ivanka Trump, and I think Don Jr., as well as former president himself. He's fighting. Um, she's likely to win. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, gosh, how long can this guy delay? You know, what we find about out about it probably is not going to change people's perceptions of Trump one way or another. But we got to go back to a different government hearing a couple years ago to really show how just little things, one question, can really affect, you know, the fate of this very controversial dude. And that was a couple years ago. Remember when Michael Cohen, his former fixer and lawyer, testified before Congress? Yep, yep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of all people. Um, had a really good question for him. And she asked, had he, had he Donald Trump, um, ever inflated his real estate assets while um, seeking loans? You know, he was kind of playing this game where he would, you know, tell the tax collector, oh, this is only worth a million dollars. And then he, then he would tell his lenders it's worth $2 million to get a bigger loan, you know, that type of stuff. And Michael Cohen said, yeah, wow. Donald Trump did do that type of stuff. And that's where this whole investigation with Tish James comes from and the investigation with the Manhattan DA, the criminal one. So, you know, what will Ivanka Trump or Don Jr. or Donald Trump say, um, you know, to state investigators? You know, we'll just have to see, but we will eventually find out, and it could be very, very, very interesting. All right. Uh, by the way, AOC, let me give her a little credit here. Unfortunately, when she's off the cuff, she doesn't sound smart. But if you ever listen to her in hearings, she's actually on the ball with some things. I'm, I get impressed when I watch her in the actual uh, doing her job and not just talking she, to the media. She uses her shots uh, pretty well in most circumstances, you I, know, whatever you think about her politics. I, I agree there. All right. Um, the other thing that came to mind as we're talking is redistricting. Obviously, since we last talked, Nicole Maliotakis has to fight for her fight. For, for her seat even more now. And I heard that an opponent of Hochul will have to get Westchester uh, votes now. Is that right? Tom Swazi's district goes to Westchester. So does, does Albany play a role in stopping this redistricting or approving it? Or is this a city council thing? Well, um, legislative and congressional redistricting are completely in the domain of the state legislature. This comes straight from the state constitution. 
Now, you know, there's a harsh truth, a harsh reality for Republicans. You know, they had a voice in drawing the maps 10 years ago. They don't get a voice anymore. They lost the state Senate. They don't control the assembly. And Hochul's a Democrat. So, you know, basically the maps, which were somewhat friendly to the Republicans, especially in the state Senate and somewhat in Congress last time, are going to be inevitably more be more friendly to the Democrats. It's just a question of to what extent. Now, the Democrats uh, released you know their maps in February. Excuse me, and boy, were they bad. <laughs> I yeah. think Nicole Nicole Maliotakis is a case in point. You know her her district is mostly Staten Island, and then conservative areas of Brooklyn, like in um, Bay Ridge and, and Gravesend. You know places like that. So because a state congressional delegation was shrinking from 27 to 26 following the um, the census, because the state population decreased compared to other states, all the congressional um, districts that remained had to get bigger geographically, right? So okay. they had to expand Nicola Maliotakis's district somewhere. Now, it just so happens that they chose to add one of the most liberal areas in Brooklyn, Park Slope, to her district, mm-hmm. which you know, will definitely benefit the Democratic candidate this November. You know, this is a, a real swing district, the swingiest in the swing, really, <laughs> in the state. Um, and, you know, she's at a real disadvantage for, for re-election. That, but Republicans immediately sued, and the, um, a state um, Supreme Court justice, you're going to remember that's the lowest level of state courts in New York, um, actually threw the maps out in order to state legislature to redraw them, which is weeks to go until the primary. But then the Democrats appealed and managed to get a stay, which basically says that the maps that they approved in February will remain in force unless the court um, uh, of appeals, the highest court in New York State, throws them out. <laughs> what happens then? That's going to be a toughie. Well, At this you- point, it looks very likely that the legislative maps are going to stay in place. The congressional maps could change. But the bottom line going to suck for the republicans no matter what but swazi and westchester i don't understand where they're thinking on that, that was one. a weird one they created this district um which just so happened to extend a, um a few blocks into westchester county so that state senator alessandra biagi could run in it <laughs> and of course you know purely coincidental is the official line but who knows but they created this district it's really interesting because it's all this land that abuts the long island south so you could say, ah, you know, the Bronx, parts of Westchester, <laughs> Nassau County, obviously, they're all on the sound. They Connecticut. I'm just similar kidding. interests. Um, and that's an important concept in redistricting is so-called communities of interest. That's really what allows a map to survive a court challenge or not. Usually communities of interest are things like uh, religious groups, Jewish people, for example, or um, black voters. You know, there's a lot of restrictions on how you can limit their ability to elect one of their own. But this Long Island Sound District, truly bizarre. Swazi's not running for re-election, um, so he doesn't have to worry about it. He's running for governor, and you can't run for both anyways. Um, but um, there's going to be this weird district. we got voters in, like, you know, Westchester and the Bronx, uh, represented by the same people as, like, hardcore red NASA counties. So it's going to be kind of odd. They say it's because, you know, they all share interests with the Sound but it's kind of weird. That's it's, it's one of the weirdest <laughs> districts I've ever seen. Uh, one last thing. Uh, it's a huge election year, I believe, also for Albany. But uh, you saw in the headlines a lot, uh, mainly uh, Andrea Stewart Cousins. 
I feel like she's not in danger. As you say, it's a one-party state right now, but is there a challenger to her that didn't like the way she's been running things? And and is there anybody in her district that would challenge her? I, I want to ask you that one if, if you know. Andrea Stewart-Cousins? Yes. Ooh, Andrea Stewart-Cousins is like the queen, man. Like <laughs> No one can <laughs> like, touch her then. No, like she, uh, I, you know, we could look at the 2020 results, but I bet she got like 90% of the vote or something. Like, and Yonkers, she's the woman. Like, wow, okay. And the state capital too. I would I would say uh, Governor Hochul, Speaker Hasty, and um, and State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, she's by far the most secure politically. The other two aren't doing so bad either. Like, you know, I don't think Casey's going to lose re-election, and you know, the the lefties aren't going to, you know, um, um, vote him out of being speaker anytime soon. But uh, Andrew Stewart Cousins is a very interesting politician. Um, very uncontroversial. Um, really has a way of working well with moderates and the political left, <laughs> without oftentimes taking any positions on anything. That's that's the mark of a good politician. All right, since this is your last interview as City and State, I mean, now I look at your Twitter, it says, soon in the New York Post, very soon. Uh, you mentioned a while back you're actually not from here. So growing with City and State, learning the Albany politics, how excited are you now for this next move? If you were to reflect for a minute. Yeah, you know, I've been a journalist for some years now uh, in, in New York, in New York City, as well as California, where I'm originally from, a small town in far north. And, you know, the move to the post is very exciting. Um, I think anybody um, who's really felt like years of hard work are finally paying off and they're, they're getting a chance um, in the big leagues to kind of understand what I'm going through. You know, city and state is great. Um, I got to write a lot of great political analysis, um, learn the ropes in Albany, work with some great journalists and, you know, and affect things. You know, so my articles really uh, made people think make people act on this or that um, notably making community community committee chairs in the assembly uh, more diverse that's one little victory i had um but you know the post is the post and nobody gets un- under the skin of powerful people like the post and i'm just really excited to have that platform to uh you know hold public officials accountable you know i was i was raised as a journalist early in my career to believe that you know you really should have an antagonistic relationship as a reporter with, you know, elected officials and anyone else um, who has power. Well, I can't wait to see. I uh, take the post by storm. I know that your writing is great and we can follow your writing at Zach reports. And if these interviews are anything, you're going to be about as stinging as the post tends to be in your writing. I guess I, I got a feeling here, Zach, and I can't wait to read it. I got a lot to bring to them, but I got a lot to learn from them as well. And I look forward to keeping the conversations going, uh, you know, uh, in my new job in the future. Well, look forward to hearing you from the Capitol as a New York Post reporter. Until then, thanks for your coming on here as a city and state rep. Uh, I love you guys as well. You know, I, I love those updates you guys do for the mornings and the afternoons and the evenings. They help any political uh not savant, but but someone who wants to follow it and talk about it on his podcast. So thanks for sitting in state for all you guys do. Thanks so much. Uh, keep the podcasting going, Alex. And I will talk to you very soon. I'm Alex Garrett. And uh, we'll have to talk to Zach about adapting to a new place sometime down the road. Until then, talk to you soon. Uh, Zach, that was great.